You are listening to CMM, Children Matter Most, on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. If I had been around when Rubens was painting, I would have been revered as a fabulous model. But in 2007, we are obsessed with body image. I have had my overweight patients tell me, I'm ignored, I'm ashamed, sometimes I wish I were dead. These painful cries for help by obese teens give a brief window to the pain and loneliness they endure, not to mention the medical risk to which they are subject. Surgery has been an effective method of treating extremely obese adults. Is bariatric surgery a viable solution for teens? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Michael Helmrath. Dr. Helmrath is an assistant professor of surgery and pediatrics at Baylor College of Medicine and an attending surgeon at Texas Children's Hospital. Hi, Dr. Helmrath. Thank you for joining us today. It's my pleasure. With the practice of medicine in the state it is these days, if we didn't laugh at ourselves, I think we'd all be in tears. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, a chance to cut is a chance to cure. You can tell I'm a medical guy. Today, with the help of our guest, we will examine which teens may benefit from bariatric surgery. So is this a viable option for the obese teenager, or is it the last resort? I believe it is a viable option for the teenager when done correctly. We, we've had a lot of experience with bariatric surgery in adults and have found it to be a durable uh, treatment for not just obesity, but its comorbidities. We just don't know yet whether or not doing it in adolescence is uh, going to have the same long-term uh, outcome that we've seen in adults. What are the main comorbidities that you use to determine which child should be treated by bariatric surgery? The, the most common one is, that we have as an indication to perform the surgery is sleep apnea, which occurs in over 80% of our patients that we've operated on. Others are insulin resistance and diabetes, which occurs in 40 to 60% of our patients. Hypertension, again, about 50% will be hypertensive. And less commonly, we get diseases like pseudocerebri tumor, where there's increased ocular pressure uh, that, can relate, that can result in blindness. We also have had orthopedic problems, slip epithelial plate, and knee problems, um, which have been uh, tremendously um, debilitating for our patients. We're all told to measure body mass index or BMI each time we see a patient for their annual physical. Is that still the gold standard? It is. It's the most cost-effective, reproducible way of tracking obesity, we believe. However, it's not an exact science, and it certainly is only one measure which we use to determine whether a candidate is good for surgery. Is it true that some children with body mass indexes of, say, 60 or 70 have less comorbidity than a child who may have a body index of 40? That's very true. In fact, the most ill patients I've operated on to date have actually had some of the lowest BMIs to date, often in the low 40s, where I've operated on many a child whose BMI is 70 and 80, and at least biochemically and by the measures we have, are not nearly as sick. When you say biochemically and measures, which ones do you use specifically? Sleep studies for sleep apnea or liver resistance, insulin levels. Disease levels in the liver are associated with elevation of AST and ALT, which are liver markers. Those don't always correlate with BMI. In fact, in our studies, do not correlate well at all. What would be a reasonable approach for the practicing pediatrician to do in reaching a determination 
that a child should be referred to you for bariatric surgery. Are there screening tests that the doctor should do in his office first? So we have a panel of screening tests that we've recommended, but essentially uh, we've published recommendations in the Journal of Pediatrics, which state that a child that has a BMI greater than 40 should be considered for bariatric surgery. We do a panel of, of tests here at Texas Children's, and if done in the outside, I'm happy to use them, but essentially we're more than happy to do the workup here. The workup looks at the most common comorbidities we see, so we get a sleep study, but we also get an ultrasound to look at the gallbladder and to look at the liver. We look at liver function studies. We look at cholesterol levels, triglyceride levels. We look at insulin levels with a fasting and a two-hour glucose challenge test to determine if, there are, if the child does have diabetes or insulin resistance. And then based on symptoms and history, we look for orthopedic problems, pseudocerebri tumor, uh, and other associated uh, issues. So it would be reasonable for the pediatrician to do at least a few basic studies before sending the child to Texas? We'd like to know if they have dyslipidemias or insulin resistance, hypertension. Those are all nice things to know. And so we do, when they get called, we do usually ask for that screening panel to be done. Should a child without comorbidities who is just significantly overweight, and again, in pediatrics, they'll often use greater than 95 percentile, should they be or could they be a candidate for bariatric surgery? That is very controversial, and it would depend on who you ask. I personally believe that they need to be screened very closely, and that oftentimes the comorbidity which is most debilitating in these children is actually psychosocial, educational, uh, and depression, and those are hard things to measure. But if all those end up being fine, the reason we do bariatric surgery is to reverse a comorbidity, and to perform that surgery when a child is 14 compared to 18 at this point, I still think there isn't enough data, and that needs to be studied, I think, uh, more before I, I answer that question personally. How do you prepare the child? We, to date, have evaluated 120 patients, of which we've operated on 17. The average time to surgery is anywhere between 6 and 12 months. So it takes a lot of time for us to evaluate the patient. We have them all see psychologists and dietitians. The psychologist's role, and I think you've spoke with Dr. Zeller about this, is to determine if the, uh, the patient is depressed or have other untreated um, problems which we'd want to get controlled before uh, putting them through the stress of bariatric surgery. Nutrition uh, is very important to teach them healthy uh, habits of life and exercise uh, because, as you'd hear me say, the surgery is a tool that they need to use not just to lose weight but to keep the weight on. That being said, if we don't give them the techniques on how to eat well and be healthy and we give them the tool, they will likely fail, we believe. Are there any contraindications to surgery or patients that you would not operate on assuming they had significant comorbidities? I think a child who has a congenital abnormality which relates to uncontrolled satiety is a poor candidate. And I think a patient who has poor compliance and poor family support is a poor um, patient. Patients who use drugs or other illicit substances are patients we currently um, will not offer surgery to. Are the children eager for this surgery? The patients are eager to get help. And I think that's a very important distinction in that there has been very little help these children have received prior to seeing me. 
they need to realize that the surgery is not easy and that it's going to be a lot of work for them. But if they are committed to it and using the resources we have available to them, uh, it's a very good option for the ones uh, we believe that have undergone the surgery. After going through an ordeal like that, there has to be a great expectation for benefits. What can children expect and what can their families expect following surgery? What changes take place? In the first three to six months, they're going to lose 15 to 25 pounds a month, which is fairly substantial. Uh, It's not unusual for our children to have lost over 100 pounds in the first six months after surgery. And that's when I think the really hard work begins. The patients that have uh, adopted our recommendations of good health and exercise will continue to lose and often will lose an additional 100 pounds and sustain that as long as we follow them out, which has now been well over three to four years. With the weight loss magnitude you're talking about, what do these kids weigh? Our average BMI of our patients is just below 70. The largest child we've done is 620 pounds. Wow. And the lightest ones are in the 280 range. Uh, So these are big people. Are there other things that change rapidly, such do the comorbidities disappear quickly, or does that take time? Well, no, I think it's very impressive how quick a lot of the comorbidities reverse. Our patients who have been diabetic or insulin resistant essentially leave the hospital without the need for medication. Hypertension initially seems to reverse very quickly, but may come back later. Sleep apnea is something that we see changes very rapidly in. It's very hard to keep these children on their CPAP machines, which they've needed before because of difficulty sleeping and breathing. So I think the interesting thing to me as a researcher as well as a surgeon is that we reverse the comorbidities before we see significant weight loss. And I think that's an insight into a lot of the reasons why some of these comorbidities may be occurring are just not the fact that the children are obese, but that there's something else neurohormonally that's not corrected. You have such a passion for what you're doing. What frustrates you? I think the thing that frustrates me the most is the perception that children that are obese are lazy and that they did something to deserve this, that they actually are contributing to their problems, or even worse, that their parents are contributing to their problems. And these patients are in a vicious cycle. And in our society, it's not unique. We have many adult patients that have done activities that contribute to their poor health, but we don't restrict health care resources to them. And these children live in a golden time of their lives, which I'd like to recapture for them. And I think it's a shame to let a child who's obese uh, go through school or homeschool with poor grades, low self-esteem, likely to have a life of poverty without many human relationships when we have therapy which may actually uh, help reverse these. And I believe that we need to relook at how we are biased against obese patients and offer therapies which have been shown to be effective to those who will most likely benefit from. Tell us about some of your greatest successes, things that keep you going. We've had lots of great successes. I think we recently had a, a patient who we operated on who was 14 years old, who weighed close to 300 pounds, but she was only four foot ten, And she essentially was failing out of school, very combative, She had multiple comorbidities, and we did her surgery, and post-operatively, she regressed from 14 to 8, and she would not listen to us, and she really required daily intervention on our psychologist, dietitian, to the point that I certainly have more gray hair because of her than I did before, and I never thought it would end, and then at Thanksgiving, the light bulb clicked, and this young lady 
has just done spectacularly over the last six months to the fact that not only has she gone from 378 pounds to 170, but she's gotten straight A's. She's in school, active in both sports and in her um, different extracurricular activities, has now gotten a job, and her face is so full of life and smiles that I just see nothing but great things for her. And that's what makes it all worthwhile. It sounds like you found a poster child. Oh, she's one of them. We have plenty. But she emphasizes that it's not easy and that after surgery you need resources to support these children, that the surgery alone is not the answer. It's the whole package that is needed to get these kids through. Time always seems too short. It is. I want to thank Dr. Michael Helmrath, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing bariatric surgery for children. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to CMM at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.